0: Welcome to the Bethel Christian Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Eric Capelli. This morning, as we reflect on the message, like I said, the title is Star Wars. And why would I choose that? Well, normally they do release Star Wars at this time of year. But there's also something else because uh, soon I'll preach from a scripture in the book of Revelation, not today, but one of these other weeks. And it's kind of like this apocalyptic vision of not only the end times, but the promise of Jesus and the coming of Jesus. And when you're reading it, it just seems like this galactic battle that's happening with all of this imagery. And see, that all comes because of something that happened a long time ago. A long time ago, when you and I, through our ancestors, Adam and Eve, fell into sin, God began enacting a plan to save us. And what he coupled onto that plan were two things. And they kind of are somewhat similar, but a little different. And they are kind of materialized in two words. One of them is God made certain promises to us. He wanted to show us that he would always keep his promise, that he would always be faithful to fulfill the very thing that he spoke. That is why we celebrate Advent, because we remember that if God was faithful in keeping the promises that he promised about the Messiah's first coming, how much more will he fulfill the promises for his second coming? Because Jesus will return. You bet your bottom dollar on that one. The second thing is, is that Jesus fulfilled prophecies that were spoken about long ago. See, God spoke words that needed to come to fulfillment. And in the first coming of Jesus, 333 prophecies from the Old Testament were all fulfilled in Jesus. And if you do not get the mathematical aspect of that, it is like you winning the lottery 333 times in the course of 33 years of your life. Come on. It's like winning the lottery day after day after day after day after day. Like the, the chances of that are impossible. And so what the first Advent shows us is that the king was coming, that Jesus was about to step into the story of our lives, into the story of humanity, and he was about to change things. Advent marks a time of rekindling, of the rekindling of God's promises. For centuries, people waited and they cried out for the promised Messiah, the one who would save them. And when you understand this, I want you to understand that the Jewish people, they cried out in agony. They were not just like, oh, we hope the Messiah comes. The Messiah was birthed out of pain, out of suffering, out of confusion, out of chaos, out of destruction, and all of a sudden he came to save them. In the Old Testament, like I said, there is prophecy after prophecy about the coming of the Messiah. And finally, after much waiting, the promises and the prophecies were all fulfilled in Jesus. If God was faithful, like I said, in keeping his word once, he will surely do it again. Advent shows us, like I said, he not only fulfilled his promise in coming the first time, he's definitely going to be fulfilling it and coming back the second time. If you have your Bible, why don't you stand with me this morning as we read the text that started the lighting of the Advent candles, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, and then I'll jump over to verse 6 and 7. Again, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, and then 6 and 7. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light, On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And then we'll skip over to verse 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And kind of let it sink in. I know that we know this. We see this on Christmas cards and everything. But let it sink into your heart. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And this is the part I get really excited about. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And then the cherry on the cake. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are not a man that you should lie. We thank you that every word you speak is eternal, every word you speak has purpose. Every word that you have spoken has come to pass. And there are prophecies and promises that we are still waiting on. And just like the Jews had to believe that their Messiah was coming, Lord, you have asked the church and you are rekindling that flame in Israel. And Lord, your desire is that our hearts would burn with passion for you to come again. Lord, if you did it once, surely you will do it again. And Jesus, we ask that this would ignite a flame of hope, of of so many things inside of us, and thank you that you will accomplish all of this by your zeal and your power. We ask you for this in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. amen. You may be seated. What gets me, like, psyched about all of this stuff is the fact of God is a God who does the miraculous Not only did he fulfill his promise and not only did prophecies come to pass because those are only words, but God translates his words into actual actions. And so one of the greatest miracles that you and I have ever been able to participate in is the miracle of miracles, that the infinite should become an infant. In the Old Testament, they were always looking for this moment of feeling the presence of God. These moments of God's presence being tangible because we know in the Garden of Eden before the fall of man, Adam and Eve walked with God. His presence was the norm in their life. But when they sinned, it alienated them from God in some way. So in the scripture, when you see people walking with God and obeying God, and when they take these great steps of faith, you see the presence of God, or as they referred to it, the Shekinah, meaning the weighted presence or the glory of God. It would show up, and the people, they'd get all excited. They'd shout and sing and dance, or sometimes they'd fall on their faces, and they couldn't even do what they wanted to do. And so what? there was this hope that something would change, This something would happen. They didn't long for a place. They wanted God to appear to them. And so all of the sudden, and we don't know if it was a cold winter's night in December or an autumn evening in November or a hot summery July. We don't know when Jesus was born exactly. But on that night that was anything but silent, a host of angels appeared in the sky and revealed themselves to shepherds. And it says, and the glory of God shone all around them, meaning the Shekinah, that same glory in the Old Testament that they longed for that would only come from time to time, that was filling the sky. And as the shepherds approached, The manger where Jesus was laid down to rest, when they looked upon him, they realized that that Shekinah was living inside of this little baby, that he was the very fulfillment. All of that glory was wrapped up in this baby in a manger, and that glory followed him every day of his life as jesus healed the sick and he raised the dead and he cleansed the leper as he forgave sin as jesus died on the cross that glory was there when jesus was buried on the third day it was that power and glory that raised jesus from the dead but wait 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 don't miss this one but then jesus sent his holy spirit And since that day that Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, you and I have been reflecting that glory, that Shekinah ever since. We don't need to go to a manger. We don't need to go to a temple or a place or a person. We have the presence of Jesus living inside of us and his glory is all wrapped up in vessels of jars of clay. And so because of that, you and I step into the prophecies and the promises that are associated with Jesus. The first promise that was promised comes from the very first prophecy that was spoken about the one who had come to deliver them. The first promise is the promise for deliverance. And man, I like deliverance. Deliverance is a good thing. When we're stuck in our sin, when we're stuck in our addictions and our habits, when we're living in automatic pilot or we're almost like hamsters on the wheel, Jesus steps into that. Jesus steps into the darkness. He steps into the mundane. He steps into all kinds of systems and he turns them around. And so this was promised from the very beginning. After Adam and Eve had fallen into sin, it seemed like no, all hope was lost. They ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil when they could have eaten from the tree of life. And as they stood there at the tree with the serpent, the devil, who had come to deceive them, as they were standing there, something was spoken. These words are found in Genesis 3, 15. When God speaks to the serpent and he speaks to the woman, and he says to them, I will put hostility between you, meaning the serpent and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, he will strike your head, but you will strike his heel. This very prophecy in the Old Testament begins to find its fulfillment in the New Testament. When we look at texts like Galatians 4, 4 and 5, Matthew 1.18, Hebrews 2.14, and 1 John 3.8, they show us that God has systematically been crafting a plan to defeat the work of the enemy since that moment in the Garden of Eden. I don't know about you guys, but God's revenge kind of is creepy sometimes. Because revenge in human standards is when I am feeling all pent up in emotion and I want to get my revenge, I get it immediately. But in God's divine plan, his revenge against the enemy is a three-step plan of defeat. Instead of a quick death to the devil, God is purposefully allowing Satan to slow bleed for all of eternity. Come on, the very person who wanted you dead, the very person who tries to corrupt your life, the person who brings sin and sickness and problems into our society, this very person will slow bleed. It's almost like God for all of eternity will hold him on the cusp of life and death but not allow him to die. That's my kind of vengeance. And maybe it sounds a little bit sadistic, but God is not sadistic. God wants him to pay the punishment for what he did, and he will pay that. And so as the Bible shows us, it says things like, He will strike your heel, but you will crush his head. When did that happen? What does that look like in the Scripture? Well, step one was at the cross. When Jesus looked like he was dying, when it looked like the serpent had struck his heel, the Bible shows us that it was at that moment of apparent weakness and apparent humility that Jesus was actually defeating the powers of death, hell, and the grave. See, it was at that first stage that the devil was defeated at the cross, It was there that Satan saw his defeat, and Jesus said things like, Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now that the prince of this world will be driven out. John 12, 31. See, what Jesus restored back in this plan of defeat was he restored back authority to humanity. We had no authority over sin. We had no authority over sickness and disease. But when Jesus came, when Jesus offered his life on the cross and was resurrected, he gave you and I the power of the Holy Spirit to step into dark situations and see the power of God manifested. Man, God's goal and his role in this is we kind of breathe things in. That's how I look at it, like relaxing them. We relax when there's sin running rampant in the world around us. We relax when we hear about sicknesses and diseases. People get afraid, they get fearful. That is not how God has asked us as the church to position ourselves. He has asked us to position ourselves in faith, He has asked us to position ourselves with authority. See, we are the answer to these problems. We are meant like Christ to step into the darkness with the light and the glory of Jesus inside of us and to say no, no, no to the work of the enemy and yes, yes, yes to the kingdom of God. And see, that's the mindset that we need to have. The second step that's part of his plan is that Jesus' second coming will really separate what I call the men from the boys and the ladies from the girls. See, when Christ eventually returns to the earth, he will bind Satan and place him into the abyss. Revelation 20, 1 through 4. Jesus will establish his millennial kingdom here on earth, a kingdom that lasts for 1,000 years. During that time period, he is going to take the devil and throw him into an abyss. And I don't know if you really realize what that means is, but it's like being put in a dryer on tumble dry for 1,000 years. 1,000 years, the devil's gonna be tumble drying and falling and falling and falling and falling and falling and falling. And that's Jesus' way of going, nanny nanny boo boo. Ha ha, I got you. And then after that happens, after the enemy comes out and there's gonna be this time period of retesting for all those that are alive during the millennial reign, finally Jesus will say, enough is enough. And the throne of God will be established. And those that follow Jesus will be judged according to the things that they have done. And those that do not know him, that have refused to follow him, will be banished to the burning lake of fire. But do you know who's the first person that's going in? Satan himself. And it says, eventually Satan the serpent will be cast into the lake of fire along with those who followed him. Revelation 7 through 10. Scripture looks forward to the day when the serpent's head will be crushed. Come on, come on. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this on the live stream, but during the summer we had a snake that kept trying to visit us. And we have these stone steps and they like the stone. And I was pretty much fine with the snake because I'm not really worried about it, but this thing scared my daughter because it kept coming out and it wouldn't leave. And so one day as we came to the house, I was finally sick of her being afraid of this thing. I went in the house, I got a garden hoe, and I boom, 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 and I killed that thing. It was done and it gave this like sheer exhilaration. And that is how God feels. The very enemy of our souls, his work will be extinguished. The threat and the sting and the fear of him will be gone forever and ever and ever. Jesus has brought us out a great and mighty deliverance. The second thing that was promised in the scripture was the promise of healing. It says in Malachi chapter 4, it says, But for you who fear my name, the Son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. Not only is there deliverance, but there is also healing. And I love the way that this scripture is seen in the light of the New Testament when it comes to fulfillment. If you have your Bible, let's look at Matthew nine twenty-one and 21. It says, and behold, a woman who was diseased with an issue of blood for 12 years came behind him and she touched the hem of his garment. For she said within herself, if I may but touch his garment, I shall be made whole. Again, the scripture shows us other moments of healing like Matthew 14, 36. And besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment, and as many as touched were made perfectly whole. And wherever he entered into villages or cities or country, they laid the sick in the streets, and they besought him that they might touch if it were but the border of his garment. And as many as touched him were made whole. But what does this scripture in Malachi 4 have to do with the scriptures I just read about them touching the hem of his garment? Well, in the Old Testament, it says, the Son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. And you and I, we're Westerners, so we're thinking of wings, like a bird. He'll rise with healing in his wings. But in the New Testament, Jesus was a Jewish man, meaning he went along with Jewish customs. He wore Jewish clothing, meaning he wore a prayer shawl. And the border of the prayer shawl had tassels, and the tassels on that garment, they were referred to in that time as the wings of his garment. And the people of that time, because they knew Malachi 4, they said, if we could just touch the wings of his garment, we shall be healed. And Jesus, who healed then, He spreads his wings out over us, and his healing becomes known to all of us. And that is why, even in the New Testament, they gave garments to people that were prayed over. They said, oh, please pray over my jacket. I'm going to bring it home and throw it over my kid. They knew that the healing power of Jesus was still relevant. See, unfortunately, we kind of breathe in the developments of modern society. Like the Church of Laodicea, we think we have it all. The Church of Laodicea was very good medically. They said, we see, we see, because they had invented this medical salve that would go on the eyes and it would heal eye conditions. And so they would walk around saying, oh, we're proud, we can see, we can see. And so as a Western culture, we can kind of ride on our medical advancements and we can think we've reached it all. But at the end of the day, God is still saying, I am your healer. In Jesus, I am your healer. Come to me. Because at the cross, there is not only salvation, there is also healing for our bodies. Come on. See, Christ is the good physician. There is no disease he cannot heal, no sin he cannot remove, no trouble that he can help. He is the balm of Gilead, the great physician who has never yet failed to heal all the spiritual maladies of every soul that has come unto him in faith and prayer, everyone who comes to him. Don't you love it in the word, everyone who ever went after him? Man, and I'm stubborn. I'm like, Jesus, if you got that, I want it. I want it. I want it. I get really selfish. I don't like, no. I feel like if he says this in his word, if he promised that he's the deliverer and he's the healer, I want it, and I want it for the people around me. And so the last promise that he promises, and I gotta speed up a little bit, is the promise of hope. Matthew 12, 18 through 21, this is a New Testament scripture, but it refers to a promise in the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah. And it says, here is my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul delights. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not argue or shout. And no one will hear his voice in the streets. He will not break a bruised reed. He will not put out a smoldering wick until he has led justice to victory. And the nations, or the Gentiles, will put their hope in his name. And so in the New Testament, they kind of retranslate this verse when it comes to Jesus. Jesus. And what they say about him is, in the Old Testament, they said those that the Gentiles that put their trust in his law, meaning his Torah or his teachings, and we know that Jesus was a master teacher. But Jesus was more than just a master teacher. Jesus was the human embodiment, not only of the Shekinah glory, but Jesus was the physical embodiment of the Torah. He lived it, breathed it, walked it, acted it, lived it, healed it, delivered it, prophesied it. He did it all. And so in that, when people listened to Jesus, they marveled at his word because they found hope within his teachings. Matthew 7, 28, and 29 shows us how the crowds reacted to the teachings of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. I want to tell you something very specifically. I love the whole Bible from beginning to end. However, as a believer, if the only pieces you had were the Sermon on the Mount, that would be more than enough to help you make it through as a Christian. And so when Jesus concluded his address, meaning the Sermon on the Mount, the crowd was roaring, they burst into applause. They had never heard teaching like this. It was apparent that he was living everything that he was saying. Quite a contrast to the religious teachers of his time. This was the best teaching that they had ever heard. And what I wanna draw from this is, is Jesus bringing hope, as sometimes we have a distorted view of what hope is supposed to look like. Sometimes as believers, we want to establish what I refer to as American Christianity instead of the Christianity that flows from the pages of the Bible. See, we were proud as a nation when we did certain things, and I don't belittle those processes, but I think that God is trying to reshift us. Sometimes he turns society upside down to show us as believers, what is this all about? See, we look oftentimes to the founding fathers and there's nothing wrong with those men even though there really is sometimes. And the Founding Fathers, the gods that they believed in, the God they believed in was a God, and that system is referred to as deism. You just, it's kind of like making a big clock and the cogwheels work because you wound it up and then you leave it alone. To them, God was the one who created things and he left it alone. They did not believe in supernatural intervention. They did not see humanity the way that the Bible sees humanity. And so, because of that, God, He is reawakening the imagination and the dreams of our nation. And He is wanting that to begin among us as believers, because we, as the church, need to be the influencing factor. Kurt Vonnegut said the following, and I thought it was very pertinent to this. He said, For some reason, the most vocal Christians among us never mention the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5. But often, and even with tears in their eyes, they demand that the Ten Commandments be posted in public buildings. And of course, that's Moses, not Jesus. I haven't heard one of them demand that the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, be posted anywhere. He says, for example, blessed are the merciful in a courtroom. Blessed are the peacemakers in a pentagon. Give me a break, he says. And see, this is what it gets down to for me. I have lived in a society that champions certain idealisms, but these are idealisms that do not line up with the teachings of Jesus. And the reality of being a believer means I follow the teachings of Jesus. I do not want to be a cultural Christian. I want to be a follower of Christ in the day and age in which I live. So let them post the Beatitudes all over the place. This morning, if we can stand together, we're gonna celebrate communion. And really, it's a genuine celebration. I close this morning with the following. I started with Star Wars, I'll end with Star Wars here. The stars may fall But God's promises will stand and they will be fulfilled. I want us all to be very much aware of the fact that King Jesus is coming. And in the meantime, as we wait for him, he is still the God of deliverance. He is still the God of healing. He is still the God of hope and his teachings, meaning the embodiment of his teachings through us, meaning that you and I are living, acting, walking, breathing, talking, thinking, dreaming like Jesus, that that becomes the reality of the Christian life. And so Jesus, when he died on the cross, like I said, he turned the systems upside down. He took the brokenness of this world and every broken system, what you and I call the status quo, Jesus broke those. Every religious institute, he broke them down. Every thought and imagination, every wrong theology, he broke that down. Jesus got to the core of the matter with people. And he said, let's not look at what separates us, but let's look at what unites us. And so when Jesus' body became broken, Jesus broke himself to make us whole to cause us to be one family in him. And as Jesus took the cup and he lifted it on the night that he was betrayed, he said, this blood is a symbol of my new covenant. This blood, people, it is through the blood of Jesus, the blood of the Messiah that was promised that would be the suffering servant. It is only through his blood that we can be delivered, healed, and have hope. And so today as we drink and eat, we are not just banging back a piece of bread and some grape juice we are remembering what Jesus did for us and that remembrance is powerful because what we are saying is Jesus I associate with everything you did and let it be in my life as it was in your life may the promise of your coming be something that's alive and well within me Jesus we give you thanks we thank you for your body that was broken for us so that we could be healed and whole. Jesus, we thank you for your blood that was shed so that our sins and our sicknesses and our sorrows would be alleviated. Lord, we ask today that as we eat and as we drink that we would realize your dynamic presence, your Shekinah is living among us. He's living inside of us by the power of the Spirit. And if there are those that are here this morning that do not know you, Those that are watching online that do not know you, I pray that as they eat or drink or as they say this prayer that they would say, Jesus, reveal yourself to me. I wanna know you, I wanna follow you. I wanna follow you all the days of my life. I thank you that you have defeated all these things. And so I wanna follow you and serve you. Today as we eat of his body, let us eat and remember we are one body in Christ. And as we drink this morning, let us remember that it is only through the precious blood of Jesus that every prophecy and every promise comes to fulfillment. The blood of Jesus will never, ever lose its power. Thank you, Jesus. After you've had the ability to drink the grape juice, you can lay it in the pews in front of you. There are little holders. And I want you as we close this morning to just lift your hands to the Lord. Lift your hands to him as we thank him for his goodness in our life. Thank him for his deliverance. You know the areas in your life that he's delivered you from. Begin to thank him for those things. Name them, name the areas that you know that he's helped you out with. Make it real today. Begin to thank him for the areas that you know that he's healed you, whether he's healed your body, your mind, or he's even healed your soul from addictions or just uh, sins that are repetitive that you just can't get rid of. And lastly, let's thank him for giving us a hope where there really was no hope anymore. Jesus is more than just the reason for the season. Jesus is the reason for my being. Jesus is the reason that I breathe and I'm alive. And I pray this morning that the reality of the presence of Christ would begin to touch you and wash over you, just like the shepherds saw in that field that the glory of God appeared, and as they raced and hastened to see that baby lying in a manger. I pray that that same presence that they saw reflected off of this baby, that His presence. But he's no longer a baby, he is the risen Christ seated at the right hand of the Father with power and majesty. He is reflected in you by the power of the Spirit. I pray today that you would receive the Holy Spirit, that you would receive his presence, and that as you march into this world that you would do it knowing that the teachings of Jesus, that by you being a follower of Jesus, you are bringing hope to the hopeless like the prophecy that was spoken this morning in the service that we would direct people to christ that we would direct people to jesus in this season as they're singing christmas songs without thinking about it as they're going about their lives buying gifts and presents that we would offer jesus to people and say this is the way walk in it you have the answer you have the solution jesus let your blessing rule and reign in the hearts of each and every person We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Bethel Christian Church Message of the Week. Head to Bethelcc.org to stay up to date with everything that's going on at Bethel Christian Church.